Hello, hello, and welcome to The Revolution. Welcome to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW in the beautiful state of Washington and also streaming everywhere around the globe on CHDTV. I'm Bernadette Pager, and I'm so glad to be with you here today. Um, I'm going to have to give you uh, two warnings or or, or rather... um, statements, I guess, at the beginning of this, because we're going to go dive into some uh, some talk about some prevention protocols and treatment protocols. So we need to let you know from the very get-go, first of all, that the views expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of our wonderful free speech host, KKNW, or CHDTV. And the information contained, I got to read it exactly, in this episode is for informational purposes only. No material is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. You are just here to learn, to get some information, go dig for yourself, go consult with your trusted healthcare practitioner. And if you don't have one, by gum, you better get one. Uh, We've been nagging about that for like three years now. Um, and but we're really happy to bring you information, and I'm I'm just thrilled to have my my wonderful co-host Dr. Javier Figueroa joining me today. Woohoo! Um, so Javier, I'm really excited uh, about this because I feel like what we're presenting today is an accumulation of th- really three years of us working really hard to provide good information to the public. And we're about to enter into another fear monger session is beginning to happen at the federal level. And, but we are so much better equipped now. It's like, okay, here's the fact, here's the facts, here's the facts, here's the facts. No need to fear, just educate yourself, know what you're going to do, have a plan, right? Exactly. So, yeah. So this, um, this first hour, Javier, what we're going to do is we're going to review uh, a website, healthimmunitynow.org, and I'll we'll get on that in a second. In our second hour, we have got the one and only, the brilliant Dr. Paul Merrick of the FLCCC, and he'll be coming on. So some of the stuff we touch on in this first hour, he will, he'll be able to expound on um, regarding the FLCCC protocols, because many of the things that, that we put on this website, and yes, healthimmunitynow.org, that we're going to visit. That website um, was something that um, Bob Runnels of Informed Choice Washington and I put together at the beginning of COVID because we knew that the topic of vaccines was highly controversial. And we wanted to inform about treatment protocols, but we didn't want people to put up walls because it was on a, a website that talked about vaccines. So, you know, a labor of love, out of pocket, no ties at all. Nobody makes any money on this thing. I pay for this darn website every year. You know, it was just a labor of love and and, and continues to be. Um, 
we created, uh, there we go, the Healthy Immunity Now. The website is healthyimmunitynow.org. And um, we just list the things that we thought were practical common sense uh, to viral prevention and treatment, again, not giving medical advice. And then we link it to the science and we link it to the experts. So we wanted this to sort of be a lobby. You enter here to look around and find all the things kind of that are being shadow banned and censored, but that are genuine, fully cited, wonderful information. And so much of it, Javier, as you know, has got decades oh, of yeah. research behind it. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to jump over here and I guess we'll just, we'll go ahead and, and kind of jump right in here and get started. So at the very top of the website, we do provide for uh, viewers the um, FLCCC protocol uh, link. If you click that tab, it's going to bring you to these guys and they continue to update their protocols. They provide a lot of information and all of the science. So if you know somebody um, who wants information for prevention or treatment of flu, RSV or COVID-19, or they are um, COVID-19 vaccine injured, you can send them there to explore the protocols. Um, and then bring that information to your own trusted uh, healthcare provider if uh, if you need some treatment beyond what you can effectively do yourself. There we go. So let's start here, Javier, with one something really cool, so simple, so effective. Reset your immune system with intermittent fasting. I'm going to go ahead over to um, to the fasting information now. Um, how much were you aware of intermittent fasting, Javier, before COVID? Did you know anything about it? Just in term, uh, a little bit in terms of just uh, as a as a cancer uh, treatment uh, in order to support uh, uh, reducing tumor size. That there was some evidence to show that intermittent fasting or just yes. fasting in itself uh, yeah. could help the the immune system fight fight cancers, yeah. especially due to the autophagy. In, in the body. You know, it's interesting because that's where I first heard about it too. I had a friend who was dealing with cancer and as we were exploring all these different things that were being um, experimented on, I learned that the gold standard for um, apoptosis, cancer cell death, is fasting. So yes. when they develop a chemotherapy drug or use radiation or anything, they compare how fast it can and safely kill cancer cells compared to intermittent fasting or longer periods of fasting. Am I right in, in my experience, everything I read, nothing met the safety and efficacy of fasting. <laughs> no. And as a matter of fact, doctors keep on rediscovering uh, the, the benefits of fasting, even for cancer. There's several books written about uh, doctors who had loved ones, uh, you know, with uh, terminal cancers, and they start a very aggressive fasting protocol. And they actually able to see significant reduction in, in, in tumor volume. And in some cases, there's been actual complete elimination of the tumor. Yeah, it, it's, it's just amazing if you give the body, if you respect what the body needs. Yes. Um, and you know, here, here's one of the cool things. So intermittent fasting is where you go, um, 
you you narrow your window of eating, right? So you're eating maybe six hours out of a 24 hour time period. And you want to leave a really nice wide window before you go to bed. So at yes. least four hours. So because when you sleep, you're healing, you don't want to be digesting, you want to be healing, right? But the cool thing is, is once you pass the 12 hour mark, as I understand it, your body says, huh, there's no more nutrients coming in for me to deal with and distribute. I think I'll go on some house cleaning now. And that's what it does. And it goes around and it looks for things that don't belong. It looks for cancer cells. It looks for bent and broken proteins. It looks for, oh, that spike protein. I'm not liking the looks of that. I think I'll gobble some of those up, you know, and it deals with it and it begins to heal you. Um, and it also activates um, and jump in here, you're the scientist, like the um, like T cells, and it begins to do cellular repair. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. So the, the, the amazing thing about fasting is that when you digest, you're releasing sugars, you're, you're releasing fats, your body's trying to figure out where does this go in order for these cells to do something else. Mm -hmm. With autophagy, like you said, after 12 hours, the body starts looking for resources because again, you need to have uh, fuel for the fire, for the, for the fire that is, that, that is life. Mm. And so what it starts looking for is cells that are either redundant or senescent. That is, they, they're old, but they're functioning or they're barely functioning. Uh, and cells that are just dead to remove them. And in many cases, uh -huh. infected cells that are just on the verge of, you know, they're still producing virus, but they have enough signal to say, I'm not really needed at this point. The body starts going on a, on a hunting uh, and recycling uh, binge. Oh, and so the longer you can go, like, for example, there are protocols that are three to five days. In some cases, there are even 30-day protocols mm -hmm. fasting. And there's also uh, wet and dry fasting. So wet fasting is you drink water. Mm -hmm. And then dry fasting is you don't drink water. And one of the caveats is that the less resources you put into your body, the more resources your body is going to take out of itself mm. in order to get it. And the first thing it'll go for is cells that it doesn't need, cells that are damaged, cells that are infected. So with autophagy, it just takes what it needs, breaks it down, and that includes water. So if you're water fasting, the body really goes on a rampage in terms of, I need to get as much water as I can. And if it's in, inside the cells, even better. Interesting. I, I hadn't thought of it that way. It's it, it, it's almost like your body didn't really know it was looking for, um, you know, broken viruses or cancer. It just knew it was hungry. <laughs> exactly. And that's where the immune system comes in. It, it's able to say, oh, that's that's a cancer cell. That can go first. Yeah. That don't need that. Yeah. Right? It's almost like it's like your body becomes a scavenger. It's like, I'm hungry. I'm going to eat anything. Even if it's in the back alley and coming out of the garbage can, I'm going to eat it. <laughs> Starts checking all the cupboards and it starts saying, those are the crumbs right over there. Yeah, I'm going to get going it. After it. I love that. And and obviously, the longer, you know, that you fast, the more uh, stress it puts on your body. So even more need to to really do um, extended fasting under the guidance of a professional. You know, I, I regularly I've incorporated intermittent fasting into just my daily life. And so with me now, it's more like it's an odd day out that I actually eat before, you know, my 14 hours kind of I just incorporated it in. And I do feel a lot better. The days that I don't have that window, I begin to like, 
you know, all kinds of little things creep up and like, I just don't quite have the energy or whatever. So I really like how I feel. Um, the hardest for me is sometimes though I'm staying up late, it gets to be like midnight. I'm ready for, I'm hungry again. It's been six hours since I ate and it's just like, can I go to sleep being hungry? You know, and then my son will be cooking something and I smell it. I mean, that's the hardest part. <laughs> But if I resist it and I go to sleep and I wake up, I'm not that hungry in the morning. I do drink coffee, though, which I, I've heard that it doesn't interfere with autophagy, autophagy, however you pronounce it. And I hope it doesn't because I'm not sure I could do intermittent fasting without my coffee. <laughs> Black coffee, nothing in it. Um, so I don't want to hear from you if it breaks my fast. I'm yeah. not going to say anything. Okay. Because <laughs> I, I, do, I do feel good even if it's with the coffee. Okay. So if you go to this, um, this page here, we've got some, some of the, some of the science, I mean, there's volumes, go look for books and, and, and FLCC has a lot of stuff. So there's some science you can explore. And then where it says search, search thousands of studies, I just linked that to a basic search on PubMed and, you know, it will, you can see all of it. If you're a science nut like I am, and you like to read all of the, all of the studies coming out, um, and then um, a wonderful, um, I can't remember if it's a video or an article or combined by Dr. Um, Henry Ely, Dr. Henele, who we adore. He says, hunger is healing, which is a little mantra I do sometimes. It's midnight and I'm hungry. No, hunger is healing. Hunger is healing. healing. <laughs> I can do this. And then I, I tell myself what I get to eat when I break my fast, you know, which is, is usually or our neighbor. We get eggs from our neighbors, like an organic um, fried egg sandwich with organic cheese. Ooh. Yeah. I usually break my um, fast with that. Okay. And then the benefits of autophagy. So it's so fun to go down the rabbit hole um, on that. So um, yeah, ha have fun with, with that folks and just, you know, begin practicing now. And, you know, there's a reason why you're not hungry. A lot of times when you get cold and flu, because your body wants to go into this mode um, and begin healing you. Um, and then the other thing, Javier, that just fries me that our public health officials didn't stand at podiums and just shout um, was this mouthwash, gargle, uh, nasal rinses. Yes. I mean, <laughs> holy cow. I think of Fauci standing at the podium saying, everybody lock yourselves up, mask yourself up, hide away. Police tape across playgrounds, the most absurd things. And for, I don't know, it's probably going back to biblical time. When was iodine discovered? Any idea? Oh, iodine was discovered in the 1700s. It was made made uh, commercially uh, available in the in the late in the early eighteen hundreds. Okay, so we got a lot of history we on do. iodine. And, oh yeah. Um, tell me what you know about it, Javier. So iodine is uh, you know for for the body it is an essential um, uh, element. Uh, iodine does like to scavenge. It's it's hungry for electrons, so it it tends to attack um, and basically rip electrons off to stabilize. Uh, it is a known disinfectant for the longest time, you know, iodine based uh, solutions, povidine, povidone was used to sterilize a surface for surgeries, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's safe. You know, it's you can put it on your skin. You can gargle it. You can swallow it. Just not recommended. You don't want to do it too much. 
But, you know, the studies that have been done uh, for iodine and uh, povidone iodine for nasal rinses, gargles, uh, mouthwash. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know about mouthwash. I mean, that sometimes can stain the teeth a little bit, mm -hmm. but it's, it's so reduced, it, you know, it's exactly. just like a drop in a, drop. a lot. Yeah. It's amazing. It's yeah. it's an effective method for, um, uh, you know, not only bacteria, but viruses. So, mm -hmm. and it reduces the viral load, which is really critical. Yes. Not only for infecting others, but also uh, causing the uh, the infection, the, uh, the viral infection from going even deeper into your, into your lung and other tissues. Yeah, it's just amazing, 15 seconds. And vi uh, respiratory viruses replicate in the nose and throat. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, it's not <laughs> something that you want to do every day because obviously you don't want to be disrupting your, your, the biome of your nose and throat. But at times of heavy circulation of virus, or you know you're going to be exposed, this is a great thing to do. And so here we've got... Um, Let's see, are you seeing that now? Here yes. we've got the University of Connecticut um, researchers. This was in June of 2020. The researchers find a simple oral rinse that can inactivate the COVID-19 virus. You know, yep. it's like, did anybody hear about this? Did Fauci or anybody stand at the podium and tell the world? Could we get any of our public health officials to talk about this? Um, and it's so funny that they act like it's big news when it's like 200 year old news, but <laughs> it really is. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's see, I'm going to go ahead and, and go back and then look at, there was, uh, oh, um, there is going to be, let me see if I can go share this. Oh, no, not there. Where did we go? Um, oh, I've lost it. I'm going to have to present it again. But on, on our website, we have got prevention treatment. Let's bring it back out. Use StreamYard. There we go. Okay. So um, uh, how to make the povidone. I keep calling it like provolone. I just like, can't make it a cheese. The povidone, and the, that's a form of iodine that that is formulated in a way that kind of sticky, right? That it will like... Right it'll stay for a long time and, and stay protective. Yep. Um, yeah, um, how to make it. And there's a link there to how to properly do it. So I invite you to go, it goes to the FLCCC and you can look at some of the, some of the great studies there. Um, then the hydrogen peroxide is another um, wonderful, uh, oh, I've got for latitudes here. I will share this tab. Uh, we provide on Health Immunity Now a link to the Association for Comprehensive Neuro Neurotherapy. Yep. Um, I have to put the emphasis on the right syllable there, neurotherapy. And they give a protocol for hydrogen peroxide mouthwash and nasal cleanse. So it you know, a team of doctors and medical staff in Ghana demonstrated that the use of hydrogen peroxide in diluted safe amounts, according to a defined protocol, effectively prevented COVID-19 infection in select hospitals. Mm -hmm. The study included frontline workers and thousands of patients. So if you go to their website, you will see it's got a nice little graphic there that tells you how to, how much to use, how to reduce it, how to use it. So I encourage you to to look that up and and see what you think about that and bring that to your doctor and and see. Oops, sorry, we got an ad here. And you know, I make no money anywhere I send people to get information. I'm not tied to um, anybody at all in in any of these um, 
So I'm going to stop sharing and then go ahead and go back to, I probably could do this in a simpler way, prevention and treatment. <laughs> there we go. Okay. Um, and some of the studies were so cool. I think it was this one. Oh, I can't, let me go back here. This one, hydrogen, hydrogen peroxide. Um, there we go. Um, this was put out by orthomolecular.org. Are you familiar with that organization? I am, yes. They've been around a very long time. And they, they really are like kind of leading the way on the science of what I like to call and they call nutraceuticals. I mean, vitamins sound so layman, but really we're made out of vitamins and, and minerals. And you probably know that the, so many more things. Um, but these nutraceuticals, they're what our body needs. And then one thing, Javier, that I think we really have to repeat is people understand we need vitamin C and D and zinc and all this. But a lot of times what they don't stop to consider is if you are fighting an illness, your body's utilizing those yep. and you need to replenish them. It's sort of like if you start the beginning of a journey and you, you change the oil, get it topped off, you got a full tank of gas and you've got a clean air filter in your car and you're going to drive from Washington state to Florida, which I've done. And you go a little ways down the road and you know, you don't put more gas in. No. Um, or you're just topping off the gas a little bit, but you're, you know, pretty soon the engine light comes on, you're overheating because you didn't check to see you were leaking oil, right? Or you went through a dust storm and now the air filters, but you have to do the maintenance <laughs> and, and your body is no different. And then if you have chronic health issues, um, you know, people who, with chronic health issues, on a daily basis, even when they're not exposed to a virus, utilize nutrients. So go talk to your, and if you don't have one, find a healthcare pr practitioner who understands this, who understands the building blocks of health. Um, yeah, so this is pretty cool. So hydrogen peroxide nebulization and COVID resolution. Uh, let's see, where was the, is this the one? Oh, no. So they, he used a 3% uh, hydrogen peroxide mist or nebulized uh, hydrogen peroxide. Okay. Yeah, that... maybe it was. Maybe it was this expert panel. panel there oh, you that's go. not it. Mm. Well, Hospital I apologize. study shows that COVID-19 can be prevented with hydrogen peroxide. Where was the hospital? Yes, I believe that's the one. Thank you. Okay. Uh, let me go click on that and see if it, well, I guess that's where we were. Let's share this tab. Are you seeing it now? Yes. Okay. Yes, there we go. In a recent study, this is in 2022, over 4,000 patients and 89 healthcare staff of a hospital in Ghana used hydrogen peroxide on a daily basis during the peak season of COVID-19. None of the 4,000 patients got COVID-19. None. None of the 89 staff got COVID-19 except one who discontinued the use of hydrogen peroxide. Um, so I, I, it's just fascinating. So the hydrogen peroxide users, okay, wait, now we're going down to another study. And then there's another study where they used hydrogen peroxide mouthwash and gargle. 
and excellent results is, uh, there as well, although not as many. And they were comparing um, unvaccinated to vaccinated. So if you did the hydrogen peroxide and you were not vaccinated, um, you didn't get sick. If you were vaccinated, you didn't get sick. Um, among the non-hydrogen peroxide users, if you were not vaccinated, you did have a greater chance of getting sick. And this was in 2021, this particular story I'm talking about now. Right. So it might have been after just one dose of the shot, because now we know that the more doses you have, the more risk you have of becoming infected rather than less. And dying um, of other conditions, too. And dying of other conditions. So, yes, this was definitely the... Um, early on days, but it showed for both groups. And that's really good news, Javier, for people who are multiple vaccinated. Correct. It, you really, um, this could be a preventative, again, not getting medical advice. And then the other exciting thing is the essential oils that are available. Um, oh, this was really cool here. The vericidal activity here to see, do they have a graph? Did it have a graph here somewhere of the different things that worked? Let's see. Um, I'm gonna go back to here, share this tab instead. I'm gonna go up and I'm gonna see if I can find, oh, here we go. I did want to show this video, if I can. Let me see, I'm going to, Oops, let me stop. Let me make it bigger. And then I'm going to share. Are you seeing that, Javier? Yep. That's okay. good. Let's see. If, let me know if you can hear it. All this is Dr. Mobin Sayyid from drbean.com. Let us talk about the mouthwashes today. I want to show three studies that have shown that when a good mouthwash is used, then the chances for the coronavirus or the viral load of the SARS-CoV-2 and the other coronaviruses reduces significantly in our mouth and that actually can help for example if we are doing gargles every day three times as these studies show we reduce the risk of high load a lot and that can actually be very very helpful so let us start our discussion i'm going to share my screen so this is drbean.com and here is the first study there are three studies that i want to show you the first study almost, uh, although it is small, however, it is in vivo. That means it is on the human patients. On the other hand, the other two studies are in vitro. That is, they are in the lab environment where they prove that the mouthwashes can help. So I want to show the in vivo first and then we'll go to the in vitro. So look at this study. This is from, uh, uh, from Malaysia and the study is... The purpose of the study is to assess the ability of regular gargling to eliminate severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus in the throat and nasopharynx. So this is a four-arm that study. That means there are four groups of people who, who were given various uh, uh, mouthwashes. So let's look at the mouthwashes. The first group was given betadine, which is a povidone iodine the second group was given listerine which is um, listerine plus essential oil oils then hydro hydrogen peroxide and finally water or nothing so these were the four groups so let's very quickly look at the study itself from my um, little diagrams here <laughs> 
<laughs> so here is what they did. Small in vivo study, that is the importance of this study. Four groups, one group, five patients only. They were confirmed patients. All the patients here in this group, in all the groups here, they were confirmed patients. They were given povidone iodine. This is the same iodine that is also used in hospital setting for uh, cleaning uh, the wounds or for antiseptic um, uh, tincture before the surgical procedures. And they were given 10 milliliter for 30 seconds, thrice a day for seven days. Now, mind it, they were all patients of COVID-19 confirmed patients. Then another group here, they were given essential oils. And you can actually Google essential oil gargles and you can see many products which are essential oils. Essential oils are also used for aromatherapy as well for massage, but there are essential oils for gargling or mouthwash as well. So these were 20 milliliter, 30 second, thrice a day for seven days. So this was this the second group. Third group was simply given tap water for gargling, 100 milliliter of the water, 30 seconds, thrice a day, seven days. And the fourth group here was control. They were given nothing. So now, what was the result? Let's look at their objectives. What they wanted to see was that if a patient of SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19, is gargling daily three times, will they have earlier clearance of the virus and by definition they said by day six the virus is gone rtpcr are negative to rtpcr secondary <clears throat> goal was to see if the rtpcr becomes negative fast then another secondary goal was the progression of the symptoms do not go towards severe abnormal radi radiological findings are not found and then abnormal labs are not found so they were banking on all of those to see which one comes true and the results are excellent small study but look at the results so this is the group one povidone so i'm going to go ahead and just pause it here um i can't hear it for some reason on my computer but i had watched it earlier today um and so we'll just look um, look at this at the findings. They found that for the povidone iodine, everybody had a hundred percent viral clearance within six days. Eighty percent of the people with the essential oil um, cleared in six days. Only one with the tap water, and none of the controls. <clears throat> and then with the PCR test by day twelve, um, you know, five were cleared for 80% with the, um, so 100% with the iodine, 80% essential oils, 40% with the tap water, and only 20% of the controls. Now for severe disease, abnormal radiology, and abnormal labs, um, everybody did great. But these were healthy uh, young adults, I believe is what um, Dr. Bean, I love Dr. Bean, don't you? <laughs> what, Dr., it's B-E-E-N. Um, uh, he said they're healthy adults and they recovered. But what's really important, I think here, Javier, maybe you're seeing it here too, is you become, you're not going to be spreading it. If within no. six days, you know, you, you're no longer a vector and that's so important. And, and then of course, if, if um, for individuals who aren't the healthy few that are in these clinical trials, if you're less healthy, it's also helping 
reduce symptoms, correct? Because because the lower the viral load, the um, usually that's correlated with lower, um, you know, symptomatic disease, right? Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So I thought that that was uh, really cool there. Now let's go back to um, stop sharing. See if I can go back. I've got too many. Um, too many things open now. I apologize for that. Um, I the, the time just flies. Where does it fly? We're halfway through the show, and I still have so many great things on this website that I want to show. And I want to make sure we get to HBOT for you because that is your oh shoot now stop sharing. I have to figure out how to get back. <laughs> I have lost myself in that. Thank you. I, I do appreciate that our listeners bear with me when I have not yet ever managed to um, become an expert at this. I think I'm going to. And it's important that people begin to hear about this because there's been a lot of uh, talk about um, uh, the American government, the federal government reinstating mask mandates because of uh, <clears throat> a uh, uh, perceived increase in COVID infections. Yeah. So, you know, the one thing you can do is take control over your environment, and that includes your uh, nasal and, and uh, nasopharyngeal environment, and just make sure that you're you're protected. Exactly. Rinses, and you're protecting everyone around you with those rinses. You know, exactly. It's in all of these simple things, and it just fries me that all this time now, our public health officials can't. Anytime I've tried to engage with them, which I did mostly, like in Washington State, I found out here in Tennessee. They, they don't have meetings like the Board of Health meetings and things to go to. It's not that they listen to you in Washington, but you did have a timed event, right? And <laughs> here you don't. But why after all this time, why don't they talk about gargling and vitamin D? And you know what the answer they generally give us? We don't give medical advice. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Are you don't you give medical me? advice. Exactly. You know, since ever since when, right? Um, okay, so we went over the intermittent fasting, the gargle, and then, you know, encourage people to explore. There's also the nasal flush component that you can do. So there's more information there to learn how to do that and how to dilute. It can be done with hydrogen peroxide or the um, povidone iodine um, that also um, helps just really quickly kill any virus that you might have been exposed to. Um all sorts of uh, drugs and nutrient combinations. And by drugs, I mean on the shelf, you know, relatively safe and effective, very safe and effective when it comes to, this is Bernadette's opinion, ivermectin. Well, not just my opinion, the opinion of a hundred studies, right? I mean, yes. you know, fully backed up. So we've got a lot of stuff to explore um, on this website for you to arm yourself with a myriad of information. I mean, the world is a cornucopia of, of healing support to boost your immune system um, and make sure you're optimized for this cold and flu season. Um, Javier, both you and I are not proponents of masking ever. No. Um, it it's absurd. And, you know, I think in the near future, let's do an entire hour on the science of masking. I want to add uh, a page to this website with all of the science of masking and the dangers of masking. Um, and if you're they, the only time they may help prevent the spread of an infection is if you were actually actively infected and it would prevent droplets from you, not, not the aerosolized, but actual droplets from reaching somebody near you 
But if you are actively sick, please stay home. Don't exactly. put on a mask and go to the store. Just stay home. Just stay home. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to move though, um, Javier, over to hyperbaric oxygen because this is this. It's just such an exciting uh, field of. Um, Oops, that went to, let's go back to here. Um, I don't have a whole lot on this website. So let, let's start and just let me know what you would like to go to. Um, oh. At the time we put this on, um, you could get um, um, compassionate use, hyperbaric um, for COVID. Is that still the case? Do you know? No. So one of the things is that um, hyperbaric, so it really depends on what the protocols are for the clinics. If you're a hospital-based clinic, you actually need to jump through a lot of hoops. If you're a private clinic, you can pretty much offer the service uh, for any any legitimate reason that you that you want to. Um, with hyperbarics, it's just it's it's important to know that the people that are offering the service are trained in running the machine knowing what to look for in terms of do's and don'ts and okay. that they, you know, they're, they're well qualified in, in their safety training for providing that service. What I see hyperbarics for is that there's plenty of evidence to show that it does alleviate if there's um, a drop in, in O2 saturation, it provides an increase for O2 saturation. It supports the body during an active infection and it boosts the immune system. So one of the key fighting uh, oxygen is a key molecule for your immune system to actually go after and kill bacteria and viruses. So yeah, that, yeah, that's let's part. talk about that for, um, and I'm, I just want to share this for one more minute. So I discovered and interviewed early on some of the top people and forgive me, I've forgotten some of the wonderful names of people that, you know, so if you think of their names, who we interviewed early on, um, on this show about HBOT, but the HBOT News Network, I haven't visited in a while, uh, but it looks like they've got something as recently as, um, so HBOT may promote restoration of heart function in COVID long haulers. This is from May 16th of this year. Yes. So this yes. is exciting. So it, um, the website is hbotnews.org. So yeah, I encourage people to explore that. But um, Javier, let's talk a little bit about the role of oxygen in overall health from your perspective. So oxygen is, again, an essential you can't do without um, uh, part of the uh, environment that we breathe every day. And it's important because oxygen, a breathed in oxygen is the basis by which a lot of macrophages and neutrophils produce hydrogen peroxide and some of the uh, oxygen radicals. Let's put, that, let's put that in layman's terms. Um, the only word for sure that I even know the definition of, even though I've heard all these things explained, is hydrogen peroxide because I can right. go buy it at the store. So break that down for in layman terms. So the immune system works uh, effectively by producing hydrogen peroxide. And hydrogen peroxide... Uh, can break down and attack um, other molecules, including biological molecules, um, by producing oxygen radicals. And so an oxygen radical is basically an oxygen uh, atom or an oxygen molecule that is looking for another electron. And oxygen is very hungry for electrons. So when it's uncoupled from any, when, when we have the oxygen uh, atom uh, not attached to another atom, It'll look the closest atom it can and pull that uh, electron out, and that'll produce damage. 
So that's an effective way to actually overwhelm any system and basically tear down uh, bacterial walls, tear down uh, viral proteins, and in some cases also tear down healthy uh, cellular proteins. So it's, that's, that's the power of uh, the, uh, the oxygen radical in the immune system. And when you add hyperbaric oxygen, it provides uh, you know, sort of the feedstock for the cells to make it. They're no longer wow. damaging for it. It's readily available, and it boosts the system to to, to go and, and, and get the job done. And you know, a healthy individual in everyday life, through obviously through breathing, we get the oxygen. But then, um, and why we need regular aerobic activity is for just what you're describing. Exactly. I didn't know until COVID, until Dr. Ted Fogarty told me that. Hydrogen peroxide is something your body makes. Exactly. I thought it was only something I bought at the store. I had no idea. And so it makes sense really that when you use additional amounts of hydrogen peroxide in, in safe amounts, diluted as it needs to be, it makes sense that it is safe and effective because it's something your body makes. You're just giving it a little bit more, right? A to bit of an cleanse. And it just makes so much sense. You're just adding it additionally. And then um, there's another oxygen product that I first learned about years ago when I was writing Mystery, because at the turn of the century, there was a product, I can't remember the name of it, I don't know, Ozonator or something. It was funny, yes. you know, how they made up names when I was doing historical research for my mysteries. It was electrolyzed salt water. Water, salt, apply some electricity, and it turns it into hypochlorous acid, if I'm mm -hmm. saying it correctly, yeah. H-O-C-L. And I actually now have a little machine, this little jar, I plug it in, I make my own. And it, it's a mild, it's a form of bleach. It's a mild form of bleach. It smells a little bit like bleach, but it's in a form that's so safe, you can, you can spritz it in your face, you can rinse your nose with it and gargle with it. Again, not Absolutely. giving medical advice, but this is wonderful stuff. And it's it, the people um, in Bothell, Washington, who make a commercial version, they tested it against SARS-CoV-2 and, and found that it did kill SARS yeah. and other viruses. <clears throat> but our bodies make that too. Exactly. Our bodies make HOCL. So it's just like another um, thing that our bodies make. And so getting a little bit extra. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And that's, that's the important part. The other factor associated with hyperbarics is that uh, it's very good at, at, at helping to boost the body and in, 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 uh, repairing damage. Like, for example, that study that showed that it helps uh, recover from heart damage. It's because it's uh, hyperbarics uh, really helps to stimulate the body's um, innate um, um, healing response. So for example, one of the reasons that hyperbarics is so good at, um, at recovering uh, uh, neurological damage, fatigue, cognitive impairment, brain fog, is that it increases blood flow to the brain. It actually induces neurogenesis. It actually boosts the mitochondria, which are the, the batteries, the energy producing centers of the cells, so that actually gets you, you know, gets you over that that particular hump, um, and uh, it it just promotes an overall increase in, in 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 energy levels, and it produces stem cells. It causes your body to produce more stem cells. You know, I really feel like we need a grassroots revolution to make sure everybody has access 
to HBOT, wherever they are. I feel like it should be part of almost like routine care, especially as you get older. Yeah. You get any injury. Athletes use it all the time. You know, they you're a million now. dollar football player. You can get HBOT every day, right? You can get they all the now. oxygen you want. <laughs> and, um, and, but all of us should have that ability. There's so many things. But of course, we know that it also um, would direct money away from other um yes yeah medicines pharmaceuticals that are already experienced in high profit but you exactly. know we've got to overcome that and that can you know one of the things that gives me hope that um the right amount of grassroots demand can overcome you know what the pharmaceutical companies don't want is the fact that several states now have medicinal cannabis legal right. and even recreational i'm not you know whatever you want to do recreational, that's not my thing, but medicinally, and it's still banned at the federal level, but states yes. overcome that. So I think, it, I think that if we really all work together, there's just so many healing possibilities. I interviewed uh, Dr. Ted Fogarty uh, a while back in the new clinic he's working at. Is it, do you know if it's Dr. Barry? I can't remember. His. Dr. Meyer? Myers. Yeah, I believe. Well, and they, they've had like a dementia pain, patient who was able to leave the nursing care facility and go home. And she's now That's golfing. And it's just like a reversal. Amazing. It's, it's amazing, especially for, for Alzheimer's type dementia. Yeah. You start hyperbarics early. It can actually stop it and in some cases, reverse it. And there's been case series where that's yeah. been shown. Um, and it's, you know, that sort of thing is not discussed because, any sort of pharmaceutical approach to stopping Alzheimer's mm -hmm. is already a multi-billion dollar um, drug bonanza, but oh. it hasn't worked yet. Yeah. And yeah. I don't think it ever will, unfortunately. So I'm hyperbarics gonna... is great. Oh, go ahead. So I was going to say, but hyperbarics, I mean, that, if you can incorporate it, as you, like you said, as you get older, it becomes very, very essential uh, in, in reversing it. And the other part is, you know, the um, uh, sup supplements and nutraceuticals that I know that uh, Dr. Merrick is going to talk about mm -hmm. as part of the uh, as part of the protocols that is really becoming more and more apparent, especially the low cost, high quality supplements. That yeah, are I was really proud of Americans at the beginning of all this because very quickly Amazon rat ran out of high quality vitamin A, C, D, zinc. You know, you can just these off brands you never heard of, but people knew, and and so. Um, I was glad to see that. So I, I'm showing everybody now your sub stack because you've been on fire lately writing some really in-depth posts. And we don't really, unfortunately, have a lot of time to get into them today because I still want to get to glutathione. Um, but just touch on like your last couple of posts and the highlights to encourage people to go read those. I know it's asking a lot of you, but... So I'll go down the list real quick. So one of the things that uh, is is becoming quite apparent is that there is uh, a very um, concerted effort to uh, not have certain things published. And uh, when you have a publication, so the process is peer review. Once your paper is accepted, it's reviewed by your peers, people that understand the science, that understand the uh, the um, uh, the field. And then they can say yay or nay in terms of this is a high quality paper or this paper shouldn't be published. Mm -hmm. So uh, papers by Dr. Paul Thomas, by Dr. Uh, James Lyons-Weiler, by Dr. Peter McCullough, by Dr. Jessica Rose, by Dr. Mark Skidmore, 
all had papers that had passed peer reviewed, had been published, were now out in the open, mm-hmm. and they were retracted or withdrawn by the editors or the publishers because someone objected to it. Usually anonymously. Usually anonymously, <laughs> in some cases, you know, openly. Yeah. But every time I look at, at, the, um, at the concerns that they had, they're nonsensical or they're not based on any methodolo- methodological flaw. Mm-hmm. So it's basically, we don't want this, someone didn't want this pa- these papers published because whatever reason, mm-hmm. and they, they put either pressure on the publisher or uh, on the editors, and the editors or the publishers were inclined to do so, and they withdrew the paper. That flies against every single ethical um, um, uh, principle in mm-hmm. publishing. Yes. Um, that, you know, withdrawal and retraction is a serious offense mm-hmm. for, for, for scientists. Yes. So to have something like that happen, it, it's a stain. But in this case, it's a stain on the, publisher and the publishers and the editors. So one, I was trying to, I'm, I'm trying to draw attention to the fact that these three highly uh, credible, well-cited, well-researched papers were withdrawn, and we need to actually push back on the publishers. The yeah. other is, of course, the work that um, uh, Dr. Peter McCullough and other scientists around the world have done on using uh, bromelain, natokinase, and curcumin to actually help degrade and remove the spike protein from people that are uh, either have long COVID or have um, the uh, took the the vaccines. And what's interesting is that a very recent study that came out shows that people are still producing spike protein six months after receiving a vaccine. And this, uh, it's my understanding the study only went six months, so it might be longer. But that it they only did a six months study. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, um, if you're producing spike protein, you're producing an ever increasing chance that your body or you're attacking your cells with a spike protein. Mm-hmm. So there are methods to clear it. And yeah. uh, those those supplements, those inexpensive and easy to use supplements are available for that. And yeah, again, I just wanted to highlight that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So everybody go to Javier Figueroa's uh, Substack. Um, we pr- provide it in a link on CHD TV and it'll go in the newsletter for Informed Choice Washington um, to get there. We've only got a few more minutes. So let's touch on glutathione, the body's master antioxidant. So many studies have been showing that two uh, depletion of two things have been absolutely critical to severity of um, COVID and other diseases. And one is vitamin D and the other is glutathione. Um, and glutathione is the body's major antioxidant. And um, so if we've got a whole page here at healthyimmunitynow.org, there's some great videos that you can watch that show exactly um uh, how it's made. If you're over 65, you have progressively lower levels. So you've got to pay more attention to them. If you um, have insufficient consumption of fresh vegetables and fruits, which is a major source of sort of the building blocks that your body makes glutathione out of, cigarette smoke depletes cellular uh, glutathione. Um, and then acetaminophen is a big one. There's a, an article, bacterial and viral induced inflammation increases sensitivity to acetaminophen hepo, I can't say that, hepatoxicity? Hepato, hepatotoxicity. Thank you, bless your heart. And so, you know, when you're taking acetaminophen, when you're sick, you're increasing your risk of having an adverse reaction to 
the acetaminophen, otherwise known as Tylenol, very concerning. And um, we've got some great links to go explore this. We didn't leave a lot of time. We might, we could probably devote an entire hour to glutathione. Um, but I did want to point out on the website, got a couple of resources for you. One is the um, ingredients for purple powder, otherwise known as Fogarty's formula, Dr. Ted Fogarty and associates, including an ND, they got a CARES Act grant and they created this wonderful formula and they give it away, the, the formula. They, there is a product you can buy, but they tell you the parts of glycine, glutamine, cysteine, spirulina, beetroot, and lemon powders. You can buy those, mix them all up. Um, take it by a half teaspoon when you need it in the mouth, let it dissolve and swallow it. And, um, you know, it, it feeds your mitochondria, it builds your glutathione, it charges your immune system. Again, not giving medical advice, but I've got it down in my drawer. I've been using it for a couple of years ever since uh, Dr. Fogarty um, came up with this. And then we give you some other ideas of, of the sort of foods that your body needs to make this amazing antioxidant. And there are some studies out there, um, Javier, that at the very beginning, there was a Russian researcher who said that COVID-19 looked like um, glutathione deple depletion, you know, yes. um, it's like, wow, right away. And then people right away were saying it looks also looks like vitamin D depletion, you know, <laughs> of course, nobody, <laughs> nobody seemed to know at the NIH or the CDC or the FDA or the department of health of any state, but, oh, we got the music. And so I'm very excited. Everybody stay tuned. We're going to take a quick, quick break. And then we've got the one and only the brilliant Dr. Paul Merritt coming up in the next hour. You don't want to miss it. You're listening to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. We'll be right back. If you're looking for a publication that delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day, then look no further than the flame paper. The Flame Paper is written for the people, by the people, who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it health care, voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, Inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at HealthyImmunityNow.org. That's HealthyImmunityNow.org. 
Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. We need a revolution. There's only one solution. I need somebody to show me, somebody to show me the love. We need a revolution. Hello and welcome back to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Javier Figueroa. And uh, hey, we uh, I'm going to repeat because we are give, putting a lot of information out there that's sort of uh, medical in nature. So the views expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of KKNW or CHD TV, our wonderful free speech platforms. The information contained in this episode is for informational purposes only. No material is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Um, And uh, so I'm so excited to have on this hour. It's been way too long since we had him on. Uh, Dr. Paul Merrick, the one and only. There he is, sir. Hello, Dr. Merrick. Welcome to an Informed Life Radio. Hey, guys. Hi. You know, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't always read your full bio when I talk to you, Dr. Merrick, but I I feel like some new listeners might not know who you are. And it's so important for the world to know who you are um, because it really represents that, you know, your courage and where the world needs to go because they need to listen to you, sir. So prior to co-founding the FLCCC, Dr. Merrick was best known for his revolutionary work in developing a life-saving protocol for sepsis, a condition that causes more than 250,000 deaths yearly in the U.S. alone. Dr. Merrick is an accomplished physician with special knowledge in a diverse set of medical fields with specific training in internal medicine, critical care, neurocritical care, pharmacology, anesthesia, nutrition, and tropical medicine and hygiene. Javier, do you think he's a little bit underqualified here? Or I think he's an overachiever person. Yeah. <laughs> He is a former tenured professor of medicine and chief of the Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine at Eastern Virginia Medical School in Norfolk, Virginia. As part of his commitment to research and education, Dr. Merrick has written over 500 peer-reviewed journal articles, 80 book chapters, and authored four critical care books. His efforts have provided him the distinction of the second most published critical care physician in the world. He has been cited over 43,000 times in peer-reviewed publications and has an H index of 77. You can explain that later. He has delivered over 350 lectures at international conferences and visiting professorships. As a result of his contributions, he has been the recipient of numerous teaching awards, including the National Teacher of the Year Award by the American College of Physicians in 2017. 
In January 2022, Dr. Merrick retired from EBMS to focus on continuing his leadership of the FLCCC and has already co-authored over 10 papers on the therapeutic aspects of treating COVID-19. In March 2022, Dr. Merrick received a commendation by unanimous vote by the Virginia House of Delegates for his courageous treatment of critically ill COVID-19 patients and his philanthropic efforts to share his effective treatment protocols with physicians around the world. Bravo to you, sir. Um, yeah, what, you know, it's it, we bow down to you. <laughs> um, you know, someday, what a Nobel Prize for uh, for peace in medicine or whatever they call that Nobel Prize for you and Dr. Pierre Corey and your wonderful team at the FLCCC. Um, Thank you. Yeah, so grateful to have you here. And one other thing, if I can continue to embarrass you, sir, is um, I want our listeners and audience to really understand that individuals, uh, you know, like Dr. Merrick, who are at the pinnacle of their career, who the world should have been looking to, um, have really stood up and took the arrows and had their their. Um, their professional careers attacked and their personal lives attacked and yet they stand strong with us and i you know i have seen you sir before the legislature here in tennessee i've seen you in private moments when you're overwhelmed by the unnecessary uh ruination of lives and loss of lives and i know you to be a man of compassion um, and I, I do admire you. So enough of the gushing. <laughs> um, so in the first hour, we reviewed a lot of pro, uh, elements of protocol that you guys do. You guys, listen to me, um, do incorporate the FLCC doctors, incorporate your protocols that you have developed and, and continue to develop. Um, before we go really deeply into that, um, I would like, there were two questions from the first hour that I would like Javier and you, Dr. Merrick, to maybe speak to. So um, on the live chat, um, somebody named P.A. Jill is asking uh, regarding, I guess it's the hydrogen peroxide. Is it necessary to nebulize? She says, my mother would just steam her face by covering her head with a towel over a bowl. Do you know anything about um, that method. I've used that before with um, essential oils, put a little lavender, you know, on a hot steaming bowl and put my head over. Do you know if that works with either um, povidone iodine or with hydrogen peroxide? Is it any idea? So I'm not a great fan of hydrogen peroxide. If you look at the ability to kill viruses, it's not that effective. So that's why we like providine iodine. Okay. And there, there are multiple, you know, commercial sprays available. And it kills it kills SARS-CoV-2, it kills influenza, it kills RSV within seconds. So it's a highly effective way of killing the virus. We also then like the mouthwashes. Mm -hmm. So you know, mouthwash with citipurillium chloride is very, very effective in killing SARS-CoV-2 and influenza. Um, you can use Listerine, but you must make sure it's the Listerine antimicrobial, 
because Listerine comes in a different um, different formulations. You must make sure it's the antimicrobial form. But in fact, citriperillium chloride is highly effective. It's very good for the dental gingivitis, for, for dental plaque. Um, so I use it. I brush my teeth um, in the morning when I remember, and then I gargle with, with this. And then there are different commercial preparations. Press Scope is one of the brands. It costs like three bucks at, at Walmart. It's very inexpensive, um, but it's a it's a it's a very effective oral mouthwash. People think that you've got to be careful because it, it it's going to change the oral microbiome, but but that's not really true because it seems to kill the bad pathogens and allow the good ones to flourish. It's very effective against uh, respiratory viruses. Well, that's very encouraging. And, you know, that's one of the things we brought that what the show is all about is telling people that there are inexpensive things they can do that can make a very big difference um, in their life and moving into cold and flu season that there have no fear, just educate yourself and you'll know what to do. There was one more question that I would like to ask either one of you if you know anything about and it was, what about using colloidal silver? And they say 10 parts per million to rinse nasal and throat. Are either of you familiar with the use of colloidal silver? Yeah, you know, there are lots of things you can put in the nose and the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I would avoid, you know, you, there are many compounds that have some degree of antibacterial and antiviral activity. Colloidal silver is one of them. But, it's, you know, you can even use Norton saline. I mean, there's some data about using, you know, just saline. But, you know, if you're going to go through the motions of, you know, doing a, a nose wash, why don't you use something that's highly effective? Mm-hmm. Um, and so... That would be my choice. Okay. And, you know, um, iodine, as Javier was telling us in the first hour, is one of those essential nutrients that humans need. Um, Wasn't there years ago, it used to be used in like the bread making process and they took that out. And now there's something like bromidine or it starts with a B, but something that actually depletes iodine now. So, Iodine is one of those things that a lot of Americans like vitamin D that we may be low in iodine and it might be one of the reasons why we're susceptible to so much, whereas a lot of the rest of the world is not. We do tend to have very sick people in this country. Yeah. So So, go ahead. Yeah. So uh, for for preserving wheat, sometimes bromine is used as an antifungal. Mm. And it becomes part of the, uh, the the whole bread making cycle, the cereal processing cycle. So that's that's a concern. Uh, and I know that there's iodinated and non-iodinated salt uh, yeah. that's part of the, the production of it. Uh, iodine is an essential element for, for health. You don't want to have too much of it. Too mm-hmm. much is, is a bad thing, but you need to have enough to, in order to provide the, the, the basics for some enzymatic reactions in the body. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Merrick, um, would you recommend that people use the iodine um, gargle or uh, nasal flush on a daily basis or just upon exposure when they're going to be around a lot of people? Yeah, that that's a good question. The mouthwash I would do every day. So, you know, brush your teeth, tweeth your teeth. 
twice a day and gargle twice a day. And then obviously you gargle and you spit it out. Mm-hmm. And it's a really very good, you know, because most of these are, are, are upper respiratory infections. In terms of using the iodine, I would only do it on exposure. So if you in if you're in contact with someone who you think has had some respiratory illness, or you've been in a confined space, or you've been in a setting where you're likely to be in contact with someone, like on an aeroplane or in a conference, then I would do it prophylactically. And then, of course, I would do it at the first sign of a respiratory infection. So it's a little bit tedious to do it continuously, so I probably wouldn't do that. Um, there, There may be exceptions. You know, if you're a person, if you have long COVID, um, you don't want to get COVID again because that's the worst thing that possibly could happen. So you may want to be a little bit more proactive if you have long COVID and be a little bit more aggressive in prophylaxis. Yeah. So um, there's two things I'd like to talk. Let's remember to go back to long COVID because I would like both of you to weigh in on what individuals can do about long COVID. Um, But first, let's sort of start with um, Dr. Merrick. Um, I I tuned into your Zoom meeting uh, this past Wednesday. And if people don't know, go to flccc.net and um, you can sign up to every week attend one of their Zoom meetings or you can watch it on Rumble. And you guys just every week, whatever's timely, and you bring experts from around the world. Um, A couple of weeks ago, you brought in that doctor from Africa who was talking about vitamin D. I was blown away. I had no idea, especially like different weight. Like if you're at average weight, you can, you only need maybe 5,000 IU of vitamin D to maintain good levels. But you know, the more overweight you are, the more you need. And then the numbers get huge, really big, how much you may need if you're in the obese category, really excellent information. But so you were talking about though, you know, what, where you are now with your um, protocols. So can you um, explain to listeners now, you know, what you're thinking is moving into cold and flu season, what you recommend. um... Yeah. So it looks like COVID uh, is going to become an endemic viral infection. Unfortunately, they leashed this upon the world and it's going to be here forever. So I think people need to chill out, you know, that um, there's a lot of fear mongering. There's a lot of scaring. There's a lot of, Um, people are anxious. There's no reason. The likelihood is almost everybody now has been exposed to SARS-CoV-2. So the advantage of natural immunity, there is something called natural immunity, um, and it's natural. And what's important about natural immunity is that you develop antibodies and immunity, not just against the spike, but against many different epitopes on the virus. So the likelihood of getting very sick is is unlikely. And, you know, we're now dealing with Omicron, which is very different from from the initial and central strain and the alpha and the delta and the gamma. So, you know, I think people need to be reassured that, you know, this is more like a flu-like illness. So the, the, you know, there's no need, you know, the, the, this obsession with with social isolation and quarantining and, and and masking. You know, I think we over that. Good. Um, now, I think 
I think one, you know, this is going to become part, this is now part of everyday life. Mm-hmm. You know, people must go about doing their business and they can't be scared. But it doesn't mean that they can't be proactive. Particularly in winter as we get towards, you know, influenza and RSV. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so there are a few things that I, I find very interesting. And, you know, I'm pleased you focused on vitamin D. Mm-hmm. Because I think everyone on this planet should take vitamin D. And I don't think that's an underestimate. And so what you may not know is if you're vitamin D deficient, it, it increases your risk of getting cancer. There is a linear relationship between vitamin D deficiency and cancer. And the further you go away from the equator, the less UVB you get, the greater your risk of cancer. This has been well established. And now there's really good data, really good data. If you take vitamin D, it prevents cancer. Isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. And it's going to become the single most important cause of morbidity and death. It's going to take over from um, cardiovascular disease. And wow. it's related to our lifestyle and all the, the toxins we expose to. So vitamin D, not only does it prevent cancer, it's really very good for depression. Did you know vitamin D is highly effective for the treatment of depression? And it's also really important for viral illnesses because there, there are many receptors in, in, in the white cells. In fact, the white cells take up 25-hydroxy vitamin D and activate it. So it's very important for the immune system. Yes, and I, I just want to, sh- uh, we've got on the screen and for the uh, radio listeners, uh, Dr. Merrick, you now have available at Amazon a book that you wrote, a, a short book called Cancer Care, The Role of Repurposed Drugs and Metabolic Interventions in Treating Cancer. So thank you so much for putting that together. Is there another one or is this, I know I heard about it uh, one recently. Is this the one or do yes, you have Yes, so this is the book. So you can get it on Amazon. It's for a small fee or you can download it from the FLCCC website for free. It's the same book. Okay. Um, Awesome. So if you want, if you want the PDF of it, you can download it for free. But if you want a nice print copy for your bookshelf, there it is there. So thank you for putting that together. That is really exciting to know um, that that vitamin D plays that key role. So I'm sorry, I interrupted. I just wanted people to know about your book. Yeah. So, so, you know, it's ready. And, you know, the part of the war against repurposed drugs, so, you know, there's the war against the, the eye drug. People don't like vitamin D. They just don't like it because if people took vitamin D, it would reduce the risk of cancer, would reduce the risk of many diseases. And so that big pharma don't like vitamin D. So when they design studies, they design them to fail mm-hmm. using very low doses. You know, so, you know, to, 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 to give 2,000 units a day, in these randomized trials is an absurdity. It's a tiny, it's a tiny dose, but they do that because they want the studies to fail and yeah. as they see, it doesn't work. Yeah. And so the sicker you are, the more chronic inflammation you have, the more autoimmune disease you have, you want to use a higher dose. Mm-hmm. So I take 10,000 units a day. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm reasonably healthy. But you know, if, if you have you know, chronic autoimmune disease, you've got multiple sclerosis, you want to push up the dose. And it's exceedingly safe. It's a, it's a very safe, more of a hormone than it is a vitamin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and um, obviously getting sun at the right time of year, at the right time of day so that your body can make it is another awesome way to do it. Um, I remember a couple of years ago, I started thinking, oh, somebody's phone is ringing. Um, <laughs> um, how did, before we invented vitamin D supplements, how did people, how did humans survive, right? And so there was, um, there was sunshine, of course, but in the non-sunshine areas, or if you're up at the northern latitudes or very southern latitudes at the poles, what did you do? Well, we were eating, human beings would eat organ meat. Americans don't eat organ meat anymore. Uh, Or mushrooms is another source. Some mushrooms are a very good source of vitamin D. Um, There's just a lot of habits that we used to have. Lard. Um, Lard. People spend time in the sun. Yes. they They slept in the cave at night. Then during the day, they went out of the cave and they walked around in the sunshine. Yeah. And so the sun, you know, people die if they don't get sun. Yeah. So there's a really interesting study. They looked at women who were sun adverse. These are women who are petrified of the sun and avoided the sun. If you avoid the sun, it increases your risk of dying by about 25%. Wow. So the sun is there, you know, if Big Pharma could put a patent on the sun, they wouldn't sell it to you. (laughs) They would. They would. Uh, Sunshine is really good. And, you know, it is something even more interesting is that sunshine prevents cancer. If you have a melanoma, the best thing you can do for melanoma is to go into the sunshine. Isn't that paradoxical? It is. And, in fact, in Italy... There are spas that offer sun tanning excursions for people with melanoma to suntan. Isn't that remarkable? It is. It really is the healing power of the sun. I mean, obviously, you don't want a sun burn. You want the right amount. But this is amazing that the sun is actually... We are told such lies. It's just... It just... Yeah. You don't want to you want to spend about 30 minutes in the sun. You want to avoid using sunscreens because it defeats the purpose. Yeah. In fact, there's some data that sunscreens increase your risk of melanoma. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just the opposite of what we were told. Now, do you know how long um, when you're exposed to the sun, then something is formed on the surface of your skin and then it has to sort of be absorbed and be turned. There's a whole chemical process. Do you know how long you need to wait before you like wash your skin so you don't interrupt that process? Yeah, I've heard that before. That sounds like um, baloney to me. I don't know. <laughs> I don't it's a biochemical reaction that takes place underneath the skin. It's under not, the skin. Yeah, it's not on the surface of the skin. So oh. it's not like you're going to wash away the cholesterol off your skin. So, um, well, there's a, yeah, I look, there's a lot of people who write about it. So this is really yeah, interesting. Yeah. I like, I like people your... write a lot of stuff. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> 
can't believe everything that everybody writes about. No. You know, sometimes you just got to use your good old fashioned common sense and, and just think, does this make sense to me? And then I, I think about how did how did our ancestors survive? What did they do? But the fact is true, too, though, that they didn't bathe as much as we overbathe now. And there's probably some healthy biome thing connected with not overbathing. But maybe <laughs> there are carcinogens in women's health beauty products. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Quite a yes, few, yeah. Yes, there are. And then, Dr. Merrick, quick question for you: when you when you are uh, when you were in in, in, uh, in active practice um, and you were in a hospital setting and you were in a you know high flu season, was was uh, gargling and, uh, and and rinsing part of your routine, or was that just something that? Yeah, so that's it's a good question. Um, you try to do do anything more advanced in a hospital. Hospitals are are, are backward. They are dangerous places for sick people, basically. <laughs> yes. And so it's very difficult to do anything a little bit more innovative. So this is something we would recommend people to do to prevent them getting into the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> Understood. Yeah. I, you know, um, Dr. Merrick, I don't know if you've had the pleasure of meeting Dr. Ted Fogarty. Have you met him yet? He's a radiologist, um, expert on HBOT like Javier is. And um, we've had these long conversations. It's like designing our dream hospital. The dream hospital, you'd walk in to a giant walk-in hyperbaric chamber. So you're immediately healing and being, you know, all this good air being pressed into every cell. And I imagine the rooms are very quiet. You'd have like this, this, this um, thing of silence. You remember the old um, get smart things where you have the cone that come down? <laughs> Your cone of silence. And if you wanted music piped in, calming, you know, the right vibration level, all the food organic, organic bone broths, so, you know, this and that to really, hospitals should be places that you're like, Oh dear, honey, I'm sick. I think I need to go to the hospital because you really want to go. You want a vacation. It's such a lovely place. But I mean, I tell you, a, a healthy person, if they went and checked themselves into the hospital for two weeks and they ate hospital food and they were not allowed to sleep because of the bells and whistles and the interruptions and everything, they'd emerge sick. And, you know, we've got the beauty of COVID, even though it's caused such destruction. It's had brilliant doctors like you expose everything that's wrong so that we can rebuild a, a better system. Um, so I am very excited about that. Um, and it, it took us a while to kind of look around and say, oh, my, how are we going to do this? But it's starting to happen, you know. I, I'm really excited about it. I'm going to go ahead and share um, here on the screen now. Um, again, flccc.org. If you go to the treatment protocols page, you guys have an iPrevent uh, protocol for COVID flu and RSV protection. Um, let me go ahead and scroll this down a little bit and see if you can talk. I'll get you to talk a little bit about some of the things we already talked about antiseptic, antimicrobial mouthwash. You've been talking about vitamin D. That's your go-to for everything. Vitamin C, 500 milligram twice a day. Um, zinc, 20 to 50 milligrams uh, once a day. Melatonin. Let's talk about melatonin. Tell us a little bit about that. Why melatonin? Well, why not? So, 
melatonin is probably the most important antioxidant that the body makes and that mm. all organisms make melatonin. And so what people think of is that it, it just comes from the pineal gland. But in fact, um, every single mitochondrion, when exposed to infrared light, makes um, melatonin. It's the So you get melatonin made at night from the pineal and you get melatonin made during the day from the mitochondria. It's very important for mitochondrial function. It's it's one of the most potent methods to improve mitochondrial function. And as we know, many diseases, COVID, long COVID, you know, know, many autoimmune diseases are associated with mitochondrial dysfunction. Mm. And melatonin is really very important. It's a potent antioxidant, but it's very important for preserving mitochondrial function, electron transport, and the function of mitochondria. Um, in fact, again, going back to cancer, it's second or third on our list that melatonin actually, this you'll find interesting, I found it interesting, night shift workers who have low melatonin levels have a higher risk of cancer. And night shift work is actually classified by the EPA as a type 2 carcinogen because you have low melatonin levels. Wow. Yes. So melatonin is, is just like vitamin D deficiency is associated with cancer, so is mm-hmm. melatonin deficiency. So the other thing is most is after the age of 40, your pineal gland decides it's going to stop working. You know, it's mm-hmm. done its job, you know, we've reproduced, it's going to stop working. So your level of circulating melatonin falls dramatically after the age of 40. Uh, so that's why I recommend that people over the age of 40 should take melatonin at night. It's great for sleep, but it's also really important for longevity and mm-hmm. health span. That is so important. And, you know, two elements, two things here, you, vitamin D and melatonin are two of the things our young people of, you know, in the United States are most lacking because a lot of young people, I'd say age 12 to 30, they're up all night and sleep during the day. Their days are topsy-turvy. They're online. They're staring at screens. They're not getting the sunshine. Um, you know, they're probably got everything mixed up. They're, they're not making the right melatonin because they've got everything all disturbed. Yeah. So, you know, you talk about something called circadian dysrhythmia or circadian disturbance, yeah. which is such so important. Yes. But what I didn't actually realize is that there are biological clocks in every organ in every cell. Mm-hmm. So that the your messenger RNA in terms of making proteins, do it at certain times of the day in a very organized and synchronized manner. And so if you have a circadian disruption, your protein synthesis is completely haphazard and irregular. Hmm. So that's why you're right. It's absolutely essential that people pay attention to sleep. You know, Hmm. people think they can get away with three, four, five hours sleep. That's just not true. So you need need to develop patterns of really good sleep hygiene. And, you know, young people need at least seven or eight hours, maybe when you're a little bit 
getting a little bit older, maybe you can get away with six or seven hours, but you certainly can't get away with less. You want to make sure you have regular sleep cycles. You want to avoid bright lights at night. And by resynchronizing your sleep cycle, it, it actually changes protein synthesis. It's a truly astonishing thing. And it, it's actually shown to prevent diseases, neurodegenerative diseases. Um, yeah. One of the first signs of Alzheimer's disease, surprisingly, is circadian disruption. And if you reestablish the circadian rhythm, you can slow or decrease the progression of Alzheimer's disease. Wow. So what you say about sleep, you know, it's just getting back to the basics. It's mm-hmm. exercise, it's sunshine, it's sleep, it's good food. It's not rocket science. No. It's getting back to the basics. Yeah, and for a lot of people that's very challenging because they develop lifestyle habits that are completely the opposite of what they should be doing. And like I said, especially like our young generation, the computer generation, it's upside down and it's it's really hard to convince them that you need to change because it's like all their friends are this way, you know, and to, to be a different rhythm. But we go back to, it was it Benjamin Franklin, early to bed and early to rise makes man healthy, wealthy and wise. It's still true, right? <laughs> yeah. So let's let's see what else wonderful things you have here. So melatonin, um, I might start ordering some of that myself. So then you list um, elderberry, and I I've heard about elderberry for a long time. That's really cool that the science is there that you guys are supporting elderberry. Anything you want to say about that? Yeah. So surprisingly, elderberry is highly effective against influenza. There are multiple randomized studies showing that. Um, the compounds in elderberry are very effective against, believe it or not, SARS-CoV-2 influenza and RSV. Nice. So it's um, it's it's a simple way of dealing with one of these viral infections. So, you know, our recommendation now is if you get a flu-like illness, you know, going for testing is really not probably the wise thing to do. You know, whether it's RSV or influenza or COVID doesn't really matter. The treatment is very much the same. Mm-hmm. And so elderberries are, and they taste quite nice, actually. So you can it get does. syrup or supplements or gummies are highly effective against um, these respiratory viruses. Yeah, and if you're lucky, you've got a neighbor who gathers elderberries and makes their own syrup, and then you can get the good stuff from them. Um, and then you list resveratrol or a combination flavonoid supplement. Um, yeah, so, you know, the, the, the ones that we mentioned are, the, you know, the, the big hitters. And then if you really want to, um, you know, go the full Monty, then, you know, we, you, we can add resveratrol and flavonoids and quercetin. Mm-hmm. You know, quercetin and uh, the flavonoids act as zinc ionophores, allow the zinc to get into the cell. Mm-hmm. So they kind of act synergistically. We have ivermectin, and mm-hmm. it has to be individualized. So, you know, I wouldn't give, every, in terms of uh, prevention, I wouldn't give ivermectin to everyone. I think there's some people that are at high risk, you know. So if you have long COVID, you don't want to get COVID again, particularly in the COVID season. So then... Those patients I would recommend to take, you know, once or twice weekly ivermectin. Mm-hmm. 
So I think it needs to be personalized. Um, yeah, very good. I would agree. Personal, I would agree. Who am I, Bernadette? But <laughs> um, I always agree with you. Uh, no, I don't actually, but we're not going to talk about that right now. We might get into it in another show, uh, Dr. Merrick. We've had some interesting conversations, but I would love to know the things that we listed, um, the vitamin supplements, um, the gargling, the everything there. My brain is thinking adults, but what about children? Um, of the things that we talked about, um, is there anything that children should avoid, um, you know, for, for the parents out there? Yeah, so kids should be kids. You know, they need to be exposed to bacteria. They need to be exposed to antigens so they develop a robust immune system. Mm -hmm. So I think the worst thing you can do for a kid is keep them locked up, uh, protected, in in a germ-free environment. That's the worst thing you can do. So kids should be kids. Let them be kids. They have a robust immune system. Mm -hmm. So if the kid doesn't have some kind of underlying, you know, medical condition, that, that would be somewhat different. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if the kid otherwise is healthy, let them just be kids, play around outdoors, go into the playground, interact with other kids you know, roll up in the dirt, um, eat the dirt. They, they, <laughs> they, need, to, they need to stimulate the immune system. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but, you know, I think in, in, in kids, you know, the, the, you know, there may be a place to give them some uh, dose-related vitamin D, depending on, you know, whether it's win in wintertime, I would probably give kids some vitamin D, you know, dosed according to their size and weight. Mm -hmm. um, probably give them some vitamin C. I, I think nutraceuticals and prophylaxis is somewhat less important in kids. Uh, certainly if the kids got sick, I would give them elderberries because it's pretty safe. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think the bottom line is let kids be kids and let them get infections because that's how they develop a robust immune system. And you have on your web, the FLCCC website, an eat well page. So of course, you know, the better you feed the kids, the less sugar, the more whole foods they eat, the better that they're going to handle things. Um, uh, yeah, I had another thought, but I've lost it. So we're going to, we're just going to move on as time's a, a, a click yeah, here. Think, you know, the problem with kids is we don't give them real food. Yeah, you know, that's the problem is that did you know, and I didn't really know this, that sugary sweet drinks increase your risk of cancer. Yes. Fruit juices increase your risk of cancer. So yeah. processed food increases your risk of cancer. So we need we need to at a young age start teaching kids to eat healthy, to eat food, real food, mm -hmm. you know, not, not processed food out of a box. Yeah. Oh, while I'm thinking of it, I would love to hear your perspective on treating fevers in children. Yeah, so, you know, we get fever for a good reason. You know, it's not an accident that the body develops a fever. So, you know, I'm not a pediatrician, and I would say that, you know, a fever is, a, is an adaptive response to a stressor. So unless the kid has a history of febrile seizures Unless the temperature is really high, you know, I would just, just you know, bathe them in, in tepid water. I, I wouldn't go all out in treating them with, with antipyretics. Mm -hmm. um, 
just yeah. because it's, it's the body's normal defense mechanism it is a fever. It's the same way as that if you got diarrhea, you wouldn't put a purse string around the anus. You want yeah. to do, yeah. do what they do naturally. Yeah. Your body's I, trying to do something. Let it finish. Yeah. <laughs> let the body do what it's trying to do. And Temperature is really very good for your immune system. It kills many bacteria and viral infections. Mm -hmm. There are some caveats. You know, people with cardiovascular disease, you know, may not tolerate a high fever really well. Mm -hmm. You know, kids with previous febrile seizures, you know, you may want to be cautious. So as a general rule, unless the temperature's, you know, over 103, I would just let them be. And, you know, that's why we repeatedly say on this show is if you don't currently have a healthcare provider aligned with your approach to health and wellness, get one, get one now, because, you know, your average everyday things, you feel confident treating yourself and your and your children. But it's when things go a little bit wonky that you begin to doubt yourself or you become afraid or, you know, you might be swayed, go to the ER and not know what to do. So have that. And I always encourage people interview the healthcare provider that's going to guide you like you would a spouse. It's that important. You need to interview them and really understand you guys are on the same page. So that's yeah, what I say is you must engage in a conversation about any of these topics with your healthcare provider. And if they won't, speak with you, then you need to fire them and get a new healthcare provider. You need yes. to have a conversation, discuss, you know, you may not agree on everything, but at least you can have a conversation about vaccination, about vitamin D, about sunshine, mm -hmm. at least they should be able to engage in a conversation. Exactly. Yes, exactly. So, um, so no fear here. I mean, we're going to sail through and we're just going to look on the major media and everything coming out of the NIH and CDC in the coming months as entertainment, as farce, as examples that history will look back on and say, what the heck were they thinking, right? Yeah, but I don't know if you heard President Biden. He said he was going to appropriate money to Congress so that they can make a vaccine that works. <laughs> yeah. That's what he said, that works. So the implication was that they had made vaccines previously that didn't work. That didn't work. work. Yeah. Which, you know, you, know, you know, once in a while, out of the mouths of, well, not babes, but, you know, sometimes he stumbles upon the truth accidentally. So yeah. there we go. Um, so, yeah, so let's get back. We've got, let's see how we're doing on time. I like it's like the last uh, quarter of the show here. So we're just going to let um, listeners and viewers know that at your website, you've got the wonderful eye care early COVID treatment, you've got long care treatment or long haul treatment, vaccine injury treatment. So it's an excellent place to go to educate yourself, find out that there are things that you can do that's um, that's really important. And I also wanted, um, well, I'll share this in a second. Um, Doc, what I love to encourage people to do is to educate yourself on your immune system and in viruses and different things so that you, you're not afraid of them. You kind of understand what they are, how they enter the, the body, what your immune system reaction is. And then you're not, you're not afraid of them. The more, you know, the less you can fear and just, you know, make good decisions. And Dr. Brownstein actually has, I'm going to go grab that real quick. Have you met um, Dr. Um, uh, David Brownstein? Do I have his? 
I'm not sure I've got his. Nope. I meant to have him. I'm going to have him on the show again soon. So we'll wait until um, he comes on again show. But he's got short, easy to read books that are very educational on, on a whole bunch of different topics. So I do encourage people um, to go look Dr. David Brownstein for educating yourself on on the immune system and how it works. Okay, so here we've got eye care. But earlier, uh, Dr. Merrick and, and Javier, you were touching on long COVID. And if you have long COVID, you really want don't want to get infected again with COVID because your body is already struggling. So let's dive into that again. And if Dr. Merrick, if you could tell me about which page you think I might want to show on the screen from your website, that might be best. Um, so we have a protocol for the treatment of the vaccine injured. And okay. In so there is really a big overlap between long COVID and vaccine injured. It's okay. essentially spike-related disease. And so, um, and you know, so it, it seems that, that long COVID is back in the news again. Um, it, it seems, you know, studies showing that it's, quite prevalent and that it lasts for quite some time and that the risks are quite substantial. Um, I'm going to go to recovery here. Maybe this will be it. Oh, yeah. So are we seeing now the I recover? There I we go. Yeah. Vaccine and I recover for long COVID. They, yeah. The vaccine, they're very, this, they're essentially the approach is very similar because they're, essentially chronic spike-related diseases. It seems that okay. the um, long COVID, the difference between long COVID is, is it's somewhat self-limiting, although the data tends to be fluctuating in terms of how long it lasts for. But as a general rule, patients do recover from long COVID. The problem with vaccine injured, and we, we can see this patients are now two years out of still having severe symptoms and severely symptomatic. Yeah. So patients with um, the vaccine injured, you know, can be symptomatic for a much longer period of time. Okay. And so, you know, the, the, the goal of the eye recovery is early treatment. Is you know, the, 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 the longer patients wait for, the more symptomatic they are, the more organ dysfunction the more difficult it is to, to reverse. Mm -hmm. It's really important that, you know, the biggest problem is that patients don't put link, put the dots together. They develop new symptoms, a new symptom complex, tiredness, fatigue, dyspnea, uh, post-exertional fatigue, you know, some degree of confusion. Mm -hmm. Kind of dismiss these symptoms as due to stress or anxiety. They don't actually relate it to having COVID. I, I have a, a colleague who whose wife developed mental status changes, and it was only when I asked him when was she vaccinated and what the temporal relationship was that he actually put it together. Yes, this is a vaccine injury. Mm. That's the biggest problem is that people aren't connecting the dots between new onset symptoms mm -hmm. and exposure to spike protein. Wow. One of the things when we were working with a study with a Florida doctor, 
we tried not to make the distinction between long COVID and vaccine-induced injury, uh, just because the outcomes would have been probably exactly the same. And I think they were when we looked at people that had long COVID versus vaccine injury. Once you started treating them and they started responding, it didn't matter. Yeah, that was that was the case. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm curious though, when you get a, a natural infection, it's not really natural because it's a man-made bioweapon. I can say that on this show, um, and it's Bernadette's opinion, but <laughs> uh, came from a lab anyway. Um, and it that spike protein does kind of seem to go everywhere, even when you get that type of infection. But we know with the shots, the lipid nanoparticle tends to carry it to organs. It, does the wild infection spread spike protein throughout the body and into the brain and the heart and the reproductive organs the same way as the vaccine? No, you're shaking your head, Dr. Merrick. No. So the lipid nanoparticle was designed to go to every organ. Um, which is unfortunately what it does. And in fact, because it's, it's a lipid, it's lipid-laden, there's certain organs that it really likes to go to. It goes to the brain, it goes to the ovaries, it goes to the adrenal gland. Um, just because of the, the high lipid content, it goes to the spleen. So it, it gets distributed throughout the body, but it particularly likes, you know, the brain has a high lipid content. Mm. And um, lipid nanoparticles were originally designed to deliver chemotherapy to the brain. Yeah. So it gets very high concentrations in the brain. Mm. Obviously, you know, with natural infection, to a large extent, it's limited to the upper respiratory tract, the lungs, maybe the GI tract. Okay. It, doesn't, it doesn't disseminate the way the, um, the, vac the, the vaccine does. And then, um, Javier, you mentioned earlier about a new study out that was only six months long, and they found that the spike protein from the vaccine lasted six months. Do we know how long somebody who's naturally infected um, has spike protein, or is that more of a, a normal length of a viral protein hanging around? It's, I guess it depends. It, it depends on the person's immune function, how well they clear it, but okay. anywhere between, you know, post Post-recovery, it was, you know, weeks to maybe a month at most. There are some people that had okay. longer. But with the, the spike protein up from the uh, injections, you know, six months is just an estimate at the bottom end. And I think it's probably produced for, for much longer. Uh, some people just continuously have, as you said, uh, Dr. Merrick, continuously have these symptoms. And unless they actually put two and two together, they don't realize it's connected to uh, uh uh, a treatment that they received uh, via the the uh, the gene therapies. Yeah, and Xavier so, is probably referring to the same paper that I recently read, yeah. where they they did high, highly sophisticated um, chromatography to isolate yes. spike protein. What was very interesting in that paper was there was no association between the presence of spike protein and antibodies, because what many clinicians yeah. do is they measure anti-spike antibodies as a surrogate for the presence of spike. I've always thought that was a little bit dubious. Yeah. And I think they showed very nicely that that just is, is a false assumption. So the problem is, is that, you know, it would be nice if there was a readily available test to measure spike, but we don't have one. 
Yeah. And using an antibody test will give you false information. So people shouldn't do that as a marker of the presence of spike. Right. Is this unique to the spike because it was genetically manipulated in a lab or is it is it normal not to have to be able to measure a, a viral protein um, by the antibodies? I mean, is this I mean, most other viruses, we can actually measure them, you know, in oh. the bloodstream. Um, spike, you know, this is a weird <laughs> This is a weird thing. Yeah. You know, you can measure, you know, EBV virus or CMV virus or HIV virus. You, you can do, you know, PCR and other tests to detect the active, to detect the virus. Um, SARS-CoV-2 is rather a bummer. Yeah. yeah. Wow. But the good news is, is, but both of you delivered and what we reviewed in this full two hours is that, Whatever it is that's giving you some symptoms, there are solutions here that we've presented for you to explore. There are preventatives that are simple that you can do on your own. Early treatment is absolutely critical and there's no need to fear. So just uh, go to the flccc.net and, uh, you know, make those informed decisions. Yeah, I think just common sensible, common sense things. Don't, don't be scared. Don't be paranoid. Just live, 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 you, live, live your life the way you would like to live it and not in fear. Exactly. Hug your kids, hug grandma, go out there, live, laugh, love, uh, just have a good life, a good, healthy life. And with that, Dr. Merrick, we have to say goodbye. Thank you so much for joining us on an Informed Life Radio. As always, Javier, great having you with us today. You've been listening to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. We'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Brian Dacus, president and founder of the Pacific Justice Institute. For over 25 years, PGI's mission has been to defend religious freedom, parental rights, and the sanctity of human life. PGI has protected patients from being taken off life support and stood up for citizens around the country facing job loss for medical decisions that should be left between them and their doctor. For free legal representation and resources, visit pji.org. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy. But we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. 
My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com.